it's funny. Kanye did a video to it. Katy Perry just did one to it. It's crazy how, how viral it goes. Mark, nice to meet you. It's uh, Dennis here. Oh, thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, good, good to have you, man. Good to have you. Well, the, it's a it's a funny story because uh, I grew up as a kid with R&B, New Jack Swing, hip hop, uh, right, and, and right. funk and soul and disco. Um, mm-hmm. You know, BB and Q band, that kind of stuff, and loose ends, Alexander O'Neill. And then I was at a club. Yeah, same, actually, me too. Yeah, I, I was at I was at a club in the year 1992. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called it's called the Waxenheit near Amsterdam. And yep. you had like like this kind of a tea room, and then at midnight the, the red curtains they they were pulling away pulled away, and then the dance floor opened, and for me that was magic. The first time I had a, like a, a house music experience, yeah. and uh, one track that grabbed me that night was by uh, Che Damier, your remix of oh, Can yeah, You Feel It, yeah, 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 the New York dub. So, yeah. <laughs> and that's oh, cool. and I was like, wow, this this is. Like a revolution, you know how, the, how how everything is sampled and chopped, and so I was I was in love with this new new style of electronic music called house music. So right. thank thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. It, it's it's funny because I was into you know R and B just the same as as you were, and I feel like sometimes my production because I have a lot of people who that are into my production that are also into or were into R and B and hip hop. Yeah. So I think something in my music might translate a little bit. I don't know what it is, but it's it's something. There's something in there that's relatable. Yeah, maybe it's like a soulful or or funky, yeah, funky kind of groove that's in the same atmosphere or energy field. I don't know. It's just yeah, it could be yeah. the soul in it. Yeah. It could be the, the soul in it. Yeah. That could be it. I th- I think your first track was burning, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, not my first track ever in, in life, but my first like real song was burning. Yeah. Can you can you take us back to the moment you were creating those earlier oh, yeah. uh, tracks? Where, oh, yeah. where, like, where were you living, and how was your studio I was, like? And I was living in Detroit. Um, I, I think I was using for burning. I think I had like an Atari ST computer to sequence on. Wow. Um, and I remember listening to it was like when Crystal Waters' "Gypsy Woman" was a was a big song. Mm-hmm. And I remember like hearing the chords. And I'm like, those are some really weird chords. Like, but they sound cool. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to do something similar. And I thought the organ sound was 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 unique because it was a little bit generic because it was just an organ sound. It wasn't like, you know, because back then, you know, synthesizers just started to become big. So everyone was trying to use like, you know, really cool synthy sounds back then. But when they use the organ sound, I'm like, wow, they just kind of went basic on their production. And I tried to do the same thing with burning. Like I didn't, I wanted to do some chords that were kind of unique, you know, that made you just give you a certain feeling. And I, I wanted to use a sound that was a preset in, in, in one of the modules that, that wasn't too, you know, spiced up with, with, you know, a bunch of synthy sounds and all that. And that's kind of how I came up with it. Nice. And I had the, tra- I had the track for a while. And I remember like, I, I, I recorded it. I made the track in, I just had an apartment in Detroit. No, 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 no. I actually made it in Kevin Saunderson's studio. That's right. So I made oh, it. Cool. I made the track in Kevin, Kevin Saunderson's studio, and then I took it back home and just worked on it in my apartment. And I was like 18 at the time, um, and I just remember listening to the instrumental on repeat, 
just I would just let it play for like hours. And I kept thinking like, this sounds really good. <laughs> it, it, you know, that doesn't happen too much when, when, when I make songs, but there was, that was one time in particular, I just kept listening to it. I'm like, wow, this, and I never made like a, a, a record before. So I never knew what to expect. I never knew that it would, you know, have such a, a, a big underground success. I just thought I made something that sounded cool. Yeah. And it, and it was hypnotizing. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. was. And and then eventually I tried to get different vocalists on it. Um, I tried a girl named Latrice first and she didn't really work out for, on the song. And then I had a friend named Elena. Mm -hmm. um, and I was actually her, I met her through my girlfriend at the time. She said, well, my friend Elena sings. And so I just had Elena come to Kevin Sarnson's studio. And she's never, she never recorded in the studio before. Um, so I'm like, hey, can you sing to this? And she just kind of just made, you know, just a kind of generic melody, generic kind of hook, but it all worked. I'm like, yeah, let's record it. And I just, I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> but the, the funny thing is, like, no, everyone heard it. Like Derek, Derek May heard it. Kevin Saunderson heard it just because I was in the studio. So they, you know, I don't know if they paid attention when I, when I made it or when I was playing it, but they heard it. And usually when on that techno block, it was, you'd have Carl Craig or, you know, Kevin, whoever working on tracks at all times. So usually when somebody would walk in the studio, you would, you would know, you would see that response from whoever walked in. Yeah. Like, oh my God, Kevin, what is that? Or, oh my God, Derek, what is that? But when they walked in while I was making Burning, no one did that. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I guess, you know. And I was hoping that, you know, like either KMS would put it out or someone. Yeah. And no one kind of said anything about it. So I just assumed that no one liked it. But I loved it. And I just, that's when I started to, just started to start my label, Area 10. And I just literally, I literally, I didn't have any money. So I knew how Kevin Saunderson sold his records through his importers. So I, um, what I do, I sent a cassette to, uh, who was it? I sent a cassette to one of the record buyers, one of the distributors. And he said, I like it. He said, can I order a thousand copies? Wow. <laughs> and I, I said, yeah, but I don't have any money to pay for the pressing. Can I, you know, let me, so let me figure something out. So I called the pressing plant and I said, hey, can we do a thousand copies, but do it COD? So they were like, yeah, we can do it. So I called the distributor back. I said, okay, can, can you do a COD? So basically, <laughs> you just send the money to the pressing plant. The vinyl gets paid for. The pressing plant will send me what's left over. And that's what I did. Like, I, I had no idea what I was doing. All I knew is I wanted colored vinyl. I didn't know how to make the art, you know, the graphic on the little center part. So I just made it black. Just black paper with area 10. Keep it simple. In the yeah. Keep, yeah, I kept the whole thing simple. <laughs> and I ended up selling like 20,000 copies just myself. Yeah, that's amazing. And that's amazing, got, man. Yeah, and then I got signed to you know a bigger label. Yeah, I think it was it was also uh, on a compilation CD in the Netherlands. I think maybe Outland Recordings or Spiritual Records or something like that. That's how maybe. I first hear the hear the track. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, yeah, possibly. Or it was I know it was bootlegged a couple times. Yeah, <laughs> also. yeah, for sure. That's nice. Man. That's nice, man. But your first your first big record, so that's very special. And then, uh, well, I think one of the legendary tracks is uh, what I told you about the, the Che Damier, the Can You Feel It track. That track feels yeah. like a symphony. That, that was put out on KMS, right? 
Yeah, but the, the crazy thing about that is there's only like, it's only a, a kick drum, a, one hi-hat or two hi-hats, a clap, one bass line and an organ and the vocal sample. And I think one more string line. The, the track is very, very simple. There's not a lot to it. But it sounds big. Yeah, yeah, that makes it special, maybe because there's room in the track to breathe and to, yeah, for to sure. get the groove going. Yeah, so, for sure. So, yeah, how was the scene back then in uh, in Detroit in the early '90s? Um, well, it's funny because I moved to New York in '91, but in Detroit, like the Music Institute was was very popular. I don't know if you heard about the Music Institute, but yep. it was yeah. So that was very, very. It was like the only cool place to go. No, there was a, there was a place called Heaven too, but. Um, music Institute was like the place where you can just hear the best music. But from, you know, I was so young at the time, I didn't realize that that was very unique. And because I used to see, you know, people from England come over to just to go to the club. I'm like, why are they coming all the way here just to go out? Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't underst- I didn't understand what the Music Institute was until later on. I'm like, oh, wow. I can only imagine now if people understood, you know, if, if, you know, if someone had like that, that now. Yeah, and, and back in New York, so, did you did you also go to the parties to dance? Yeah, 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 yeah. When I went to New York, I became friends. I became friends with like Todd Terry and Kenny Dope when I still lived in Detroit. Because once I made Burning, just a lot of DJs reached out to me, and so I became you know friends with them instantly. So and and I was always you know their biggest fans, biggest fans. So once I got to New York, I kind of reached out to Todd and Kenny and Louie. And we kind of became friends. So anytime they went out, you know, I would, they would call me or I would call them and say, hey, you guys going out tonight? And they, they say, yeah, we're spinning at, uh, you know, Sound Factory Bar or whatever. And I would just go out and just kind of hang out with them. If you were on a festival like, like right now or in the next weeks, but it's COVID-19, so it won't happen. But maybe in the yeah. next year. Are there any DJs in, in particular you would like to visit and have a dance and listen to the music they play or how they do it? Is that, is that still some, is something you still do nowadays? Uh, sometimes, <clears throat> um, it's always, it's always fun to see like local dice player Jamie play. Yeah. Um, I always get just inspired for, for music, music ideas when I watch them play because they play so unique and I can hear something that they do that, that I may have not have thought of as while I'm producing the track. Mm-hmm. So I do like to, I do like to go watch them play. Yeah. What, what were your first musical memories when, when growing up as a kid? In your parents' house, what did yeah, they play? Well, my 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 dad listened to just funk, you know, Parliament Funkadelics, all all soul music. Um, and my mom listened to like new wave music, just new age, you know, like <laughs> yeah. the the Pesh Mode, the Cure. So I got a little bit of both. But my favorite group was Kiss, the rock group. Oh yeah. <laughs> so it was like it was like just three three genres that I liked. Yeah. You know, as a young age, I loved rock. I loved, you know, soul, hip-hop, R&B. Sure Know Something the... by Kiss is an amazing track. Which one? Sure Know Something. It's a bit funky as well. Sure Know Something. Which one is that? Let me see. Do we have it in the system? I'm not, not quite sure. Oh, yeah, this one. Let me check it. Uh... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I just love oh, this yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, I think this is massive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think when I, when I travel through the US, I want to have this in my car. You know. So. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
drive around with the top down. Yeah, yeah. top down, yeah. yeah. And, you know, turn up the speakers, Route 66, something like that. Uh, LA, yeah, LA to definitely. Vegas or Vegas to LA, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> so, so that's a, so a so wide yeah. variety of music, yeah. Yeah, it was definitely a wide variety of music. Yeah. Definitely a wide variety. Where, um, and I think you know that does help. And my production are, are just thinking of things, um, just to be into it all. So yeah, yeah. And you've you've been away from house music as well for a while, and then you produced uh, a lot of R and B groups as well. Um, and that, that has something right. to do with Quincy Jones, right? It, yeah, well, it didn't. It's like basically when I lived in New York, I was. You know, after I did Nightcrawlers, Push a Feeling on, I was still, I got hired to do a lot of remixes, but I, I did, I wasn't like on that Dave Morales or Mass at Work level, I felt as getting picked for remixes. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe I was, I was just, I was still a kid, so I don't really, don't really know what I was doing too much back then. <clears throat> but I just kind of felt like either I wanted to be just the main guy or just, you know, just a popular, a more popular remixer. When I, I kind of felt like my career was kind of going to get stuck. Mm -hmm. and, but I always liked R&B and I wanted to produce R&B. Like I used to produce R&B even as I was making Burning, I was still making hip hop music. Um, and so I decided like maybe I should start just becoming, try to become a producer and produce songs for other artists and, and go that route. Because that's kind of what I always wanted to do. Yeah. And and so I had I just had tracks, you know, just dats and dats of tracks. And I met someone who worked with Quincy Jones named Jay Brown in around 1996 or 97. And he heard my tracks and he, he basically, you know, flew me out to California to meet Quincy Jones because he liked the music. And then Quincy Jones signed me to a publishing deal and they worked on just getting me in the studio with artists, you know, like SWV, Snoop Dogg and... So I was in the, you know, I was in the studio with a lot of different artists. Yeah, and SWV says seven or two as well, right? Yeah, seven or two. Yeah, cool. Um, Still have and that there was CD. a lot more that didn't even come out. Oh, do you? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. And then, you know, so I thought I figured out, you know, that the, the route I was going to go for the rest of my career. But then the um, what? And I made a lot of money. Made a lot of money on on just placing tracks, producing songs for other artists, even songs that didn't come out. Because back then there was so much money with record labels that they could afford to pay you $20,000 yeah. for a song. And if it didn't make the album, it just didn't make the album. You still got paid. Different so times. I made, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I made a great living. But once once um, the internet hit and Napster kind of did what it did, it kind of killed the music industry for a second. Yeah. So record labels weren't making money hand over fist anymore. They were tighter with their budgets. They were only paying for songs if it definitely made the album. So as a producer, you know, you just spend years making tracks and hoping that Usher takes it for his album or, and you know, you end up maybe placing one or two songs a year and it just wasn't the same. I'm like, oh, this isn't really <laughs> what I wanted. And so I did a couple of years of just kind of doing that, struggling to produce songs for artists, struggling to just make just enough to where If you didn't work for six months, you sell a track and then you cover up all your back bills. It was a, it was a lot of that for a while. Yeah, that's challenging, I think, as an artist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah well, as, but it's, it's like that's how every producer lived. Every producer did that. So it was like a, it was a norm, you know, but it, it, it was also more cutthroat. Yeah. Because, you know, you get you just everyone wants a piece of the pie and it just got more shady. 
Um, and so then Pitbull sampled Nightcrawler's Push the Feeling On. And once that happened, and around the same time, I think probably maybe the same year, Jamie Jones reached out to me about DJing with him and Lee Foss at a hot creation party. And I never really DJ. I used to, I used to have decks in the 90s, had to, you know, turntables, but I never, I, I DJed one party at Ministry of Sound um, in the 90s, and that was it. Yeah. So I was like, ooh, I haven't DJed in a while, but this is, I think this R&B thing isn't working anymore, and I, I, house is, you know, definitely my love, so this might be a good time to get back into it. Wow. What a timing. Yeah, yeah. No, the timing was everything because yeah. during that, during like 2009, between 2011, just 90s house just came back strong. It was yeah. like, that's all anybody wanted to hear. It was a revival. Yeah, it was everywhere. Yeah it, yeah, it was everywhere. And so basically every one of my remixes came up in everyone's playlist. And, you know, it's like from, from all, the new, all the new DJs at the time that I, that I didn't know, um, you know, were just playing everything. Like Carl Cox was playing it, playing it. Local Dice was playing it. And every they were all reaching out to me at the same time. So I'm like, oh, that's, this is great. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of decided like, okay, this is how I'm going back into house. And yeah. Kind of took it from there. And I think because there was so so many young kids into you know into going out in the house, and I was new to them. They were like, "Who's this MK guy?" And they're like, "Oh, you know." And and when I <laughs> when I started when I started doing you know shows in like 2012, like my first couple shows they were sold out. Amazing, man. Yeah. So so I, I played like to sold out shows, but. I've only been, you know, DJing like not even a full year. So it was like, oh, this is crazy. But, you know, I'll figure it out. <laughs> MK was reborn in a way. Yeah. Like a second 100%. youth. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it kind of just, it went from there. And, and then I think I did a couple remixes that, that started to do well. And then I did um, Storm Queen, Look Right Through. Yeah. And that, that one just kind of just catapulted me. Yeah, it exploded. Yeah, yeah, it did. I mean, it went number one in UK. Um, so yeah, it just kind of went crazy for me. And then I did my head as a jungle, and that did well. Um, and then a couple, you know, a few more. Yeah, that's funny. You just turned uh, 48 because uh, I'm 10 days younger than you are. I'm from uh, the 23rd oh, no of way. July, 1972 as well. I think that's a good building year. <laughs> But, yeah, but that's a, for me also as a as a just a music a house music lover, a music lover. It was very funny to see uh, in the, the start of my musical career, I was listening to your records, and now a whole new generation embraced you, and you're still like yeah. on the on well doing the big stuff, uh, and you you made a small withdrawal with the producing stuff, but it, it doesn't matter. It's, it's still like that's good about music as well. Good music is timeless. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's funny. I, I think it helped that I that I took a break from R&B, I mean, from house for a while because I didn't, because I think I, what I w probably would have done is kept doing house and maybe changed my style, maybe to even more trance. I'm not sure, but I, I, I'm glad I didn't. Um, you know, I think just if I was producing house for, you know, this long, I just think my style would have changed in a way that just because, and, and you know, in 2001, I don't know. I don't, I'm not really into that the house music that was out during that era. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think I might have might have leaned towards doing that, which I could have just crashed and burned maybe, but yeah. I, have, I have no complaints basically. No, I'm happy with it. But, but it's good. Right it's good to have like a fresh start, a restart maybe. Well, that's that. I yeah. think that's difficult as well. Every Saturday we have the Saturday night show. We have a a podcast. So selecting music every week, and right. and then the whole big EDM uh, thing exploded also here in the, right. in Holland and right. Uh, and then some people say the the station director back then you have to play more EDM music. And I was like. I don't know. I think it's a bit over the hill, you know. It's it, that there yeah. was a thing of last year, and there are some amazing right. tracks in that genre as well. And of course, we cover everything from Jamie Jones to MK to a great new Afrojack song or something he do, he's doing right. under his other under monikers. But you know, we, we like to keep the variety, and it has to be fresh every week. And I like to you know right. surprise people. But it, that's difficult as well as an artist if you started out in like 1989, 1990. It's I right. think it's so difficult to uh, creatively to to um, to keep pushing forward and to to keep progressing in your sounds. And yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's almost impossible to stay at the top for like 30 or 40 years straight with yeah. one oh, thing. Yeah, yeah, 100 percent, 100 percent, 100 percent. Now, what would what would your advice be for like young people who are listening now and producing well, music and want to make a career well, career in electronic music or music? I think what I would say, and and I don't know if I followed this so much when I was younger because I definitely did kind of copy different producers and their their styles. But um, now, just being into it longer and and seeing seeing new kids that come out right now, the ones that become very successful very quick are the ones that don't try to sound like anyone else. Mm. If it just, if just if When you're just unique and, and true to like what you really feel like you want to make, you'll you'll be surprised how successful you'll be. Yeah, listen it, to your soul. I mean, yeah, if you, if you take yeah. every 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 top, you know, DJ or, or, or house producer, if you think about where they are, it's like they just have a unique sound. Yeah. You you can tell you know it's like you can tell when MK tracks on you can tell you can tell when a Jamie's track a Jamie Jones track is on you can tell when a Michael Beebe track is on um, you know it's just they have that unique sound you can tell when when a Patrick Topping song comes on yeah he's good as well huh? <laughs> yeah yeah but they're they're you know they're all they're unique in their way but if you know, there's a lot of you know tech house tracks that come out where people just kind of use splice and take loops and just put stuff together but it's just not unique. And so you'll they'll find it harder, you know, to get noticed. Yeah. So so it's so it's a better idea to like uh, work on something uh, maybe a bit longer and really that it really touches your own touches your own soul before releasing it. A hundred percent. A hundred. Yeah. You have to be the one that likes it. Don't like. I always tell you know young people don't worry about if someone else doesn't like it. But if you if you generally like it, like really like it, you're not lying to yourself, and you like it, you're good to go. And a good thing is uh, nowadays we have the internet. Back when you were like starting with yeah. uh, music, that was a whole different ball game with sending cassettes. Oh. And and that is funny. I did uh, just did the afternoon show on another radio station, Radio Veronica, and I said, well, mm -hmm. tonight I'm going to record a dance department backstage podcast with Mark Kinchin, MK. He's one of my musical heroes. And he said, yeah, yeah, I know this. Push the feeling on. There's a very funny <laughs> viral YouTube movie. Yeah, and he, he, yeah. he doesn't he doesn't like dance music at all. But he, he loves this movie. So let's play a part of it. It's Friday. Yeah. It's Saturday, Sunday. What? It's Friday. It's Friday. Yeah. You know it, right? 
Oh, of course I know it. Yeah. Of course. The guy dancing next to the car. But but that is funny yeah. that because of, you know, YouTube and the internet, this stuff is everywhere. So it's a whole different different way of getting music to people as well. Yeah, and it's funny. Kanye did a video to it. Katy Perry just did one to it. It's like it's crazy how how viral it goes. But but speaking of the internet, yes. Um Back then, I, I don't think the kids know how good they have it now because you can make a song and put it on SoundCloud and have it on the internet. Yeah, like the same day. I, you know, when I made Burning, I didn't hear it for. I, when I made Burning, I didn't hear it for, and it took two years before I heard it in a club. Wow, that's Literally. a mighty long time. Yeah, it took two years. So, you know, <laughs> it's. They, The young ones got it good. Yeah, yeah, it's easier now. It's easier now. and difficult at the same time because when you go on Beatport or another portal, there are like uh, lot, 15, yeah. new releases every week. Mm -hmm. It's like impossible to. <laughs> Ex yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's why I say you know, like make it unique. And if you make it unique, then then the bigger DJs will be you know they may notice it and put it on their platforms. Yeah, put it in their playlists. Yeah. We play your uh, latest because release. I think one of your re latest releases, 2 a.m. with Carl Amandro, which is also a stellar uh, track. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you, thank you. So, but that, that is not thank two you. years old. I think it's a bit quicker on the Dutch radio, right? In the, in the days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's quicker. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for yeah. sure. What are you working on right now? What can we expect for the next year? Uh, well, there's a there's a bunch of remixes for 2 a.m. coming out. Um, the Endor did one. Paul Wolford did one. Uh, Martin Eiken did one. Um, I'm doing one. So we have that. I have remixes coming out um, next month on Kelvin Harris. I, I did um, Live Without Your Love remix. And I also did one for Armin Van Helden. It's called Fire. And I did one for a girl called, named Amelia. She's on Idris Elba label. Cool. And so, so that's coming out. Um, I think those all come out next month. And then I have a new song with Annabelle England coming out on my, my label, Area 10. And then I have a song with Will Clark coming out, and this is all up until October. <laughs> wow, <laughs> so, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, and then November I have another single coming out uh, called Chemical. So, so this whole COVID 19 situation, you're like more in the studio than ever, or? Oh, 100 percent, yeah, 100 percent. Yeah, it's, it's you know it's, it's been hard making music, being a full time touring DJ. Yeah, I can't imagine. Um, it's, that's almost impossible, right? To It, it really is. It's like, especially, you know, like I have kids. So, you know, I go on the road. I'm gone for two weeks, come home for a week or two. And of course, you know, you want to spend as much time as you can with the kids because you haven't seen them. And so in that time, you know, you're like, okay, but I got to fit in some music. But you don't want to like put your kids off to do music. You know, yeah. so <laughs> then you try, you, so you try to do music It's when the kids are asleep. Yeah. It's a battle. So you do music like when the kids are asleep at 2 a.m., but then the kids wake up at 7 a.m. So you're like, oh my God, <laughs> this is getting more and more difficult. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah, this COVID thing is like, it sucks, but it's a blessing in yeah. disguise for me at least. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine. I have a young baby girl. She's uh, almost four months now. So, okay. uh, for me, and, and I'm about to move to, uh, to another house. So I packed all my vinyls again for like the fourth time in, in five years. And it's all like 100 boxes with CDs and vinyl. And then, and then oh my God, colleague, yeah. my colleague Jan from dance department, we worked together for like 16 years now. He's, yeah, we, we have to make some music again because our last tra track is like five years ago. But when, when there are kids in the game, it's a whole different level. 
It's it's more difficult when you have oh, kids, I think. Yeah. yeah. Oh, 100%. 100%. And then on top of that, it's hard to leave them. Yeah, it's very when hard I first, to leave them. When I, fir- yeah. when I first started DJing, um, my daughter, she was three. And it was like the first time. And I was like, everyone called me like mommy dad. Because I, like I was like the stay home dad with my oh. daughter. <laughs> and so... You know, the first time I left, I was gone for like a week and like I literally like I cried because I missed her that much. I'm like, oh, my God. And I, I called my manager and I told him, like, I don't want to do this. I was going to not DJ. I'm like, no, I can't do this. I have <laughs> to no stay way. home. <laughs> I can't yeah, leave her. No, yeah. I, I swear it was it was it was that crazy. Um, But, you know, I kind of had to, you know, had to do it, though. Had to stay on the road. But, yeah, it's definitely not easy. It, it's definitely challenging. Not. I can imagine. Yeah. If if, oh, yeah. if 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 you were asked, uh, okay, Mark, um, we want you as a producer, uh, step away from a house for uh, one year or two years, and we want yeah. you as a producer for the new uh, Justin Timberlake album to to name something. Would you do that again? I to- don't think. Nah, I don't think so. I don't think so. There's there's nothing that can make me step away from it now, um, because I'm just happier now doing it. Yeah, it's the first it's the first time I've been like. You know, I was signed as MK in the 90s to a label, but I was too small to even be noticed by the, the label. <laughs> but now I'm signed to Sony. I can do my own. The way, When I do my music, I don't have to answer to anyone. Um, And, and you kind of have to have to, had to be in this kind of position to understand what I'm saying. But before, when you're producing for someone else, it's like you're just you're almost going to a nine to five. Yeah. It's um, a job. It's a job, yeah. and then you get you get everyone from managers to managers' friends to your friends <laughs> telling you what you need, to, what you should change in the track, and you know it's just it's it's it becomes not fun. No, I can't imagine it's, it's so. not really uh, nice to do that creative creatively as well. You know? No, it's got it's it's got to be it's got to be fun. <laughs> it's got to yeah. be fun. You know? Yeah, so. music is about fun, right? If you're in the studio having a good time and yeah. Bumping your head to a great groove. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what I, mean, your, I wouldn't mind yeah. doing a track for. Uh, I wouldn't mind doing an album for for Justin, but no, not for not to stay away from from what I love for two years. No, that's no. crazy. Just stay in house music, man. That's good. We need you. We need yeah. you here. We need <laughs> you here. here. What Thank What you. is your studio work schedule? Do you get up in the morning and do a few hours, or do, do you have one way one day in the week that you plan to have studio time? What, what's your work around your work no, schedule? I kind of. I, I kind of just wake up. I'm, I'm used to waking up early. You know, I don't know if you if you got this yet, but when you get a certain age, it's hard to sleep eight and ten hours a day. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so, so you know, I'm up pretty early, and I kind of just come in my studio in the morning and and work. It's, it's funny because when I was younger, I worked better at night, and you know, you just. But now it's like I work better in the morning because my 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 mind is fresh and rested. So I do more in the morning now, believe yeah. it or not. I, I sound like an old guy, but I uh, I recognize this because I get up at <laughs> seven every morning. Yeah. <laughs> awake at 6.30 and I'm more creative in the morning now. And uh, back in the days w- with pirate radio, we right. I used to, to be up all night and, you know, uh, play transmitters on tower blocks and play funk music and that kind of stuff. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Mark, thank you very, very much for your time, man. Oh, anytime, anytime, yeah. anytime you want to call. 538. Dance Department. Backstage, Dennis Breyer. Connect with Dance Department online on Facebook, Mixcloud, and 538.nl/slash Dance Department.